Thanks for being here. Why don't you tell, tell the person on your right, glad you're here. And turn to Luke chapter 1. So we've been celebrating Advent the last two weeks. Last week's word was expectation. Today's word is preparation. Advent, very simply, means countdown. It's counting down the arrival of Jesus. You know, Jesus said that we're born twice. We are born from our mothers and fathers, and then we're also born spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God. And when you are born again, you are born into responsibility. We see that in the scripture. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve were given roles. They were given jobs. They were given tasks. And we see at the very end of scripture, Revelation chapter 22, talking about you and I, the redeemed, that we are actually going to have a place of service. So we see uh, responsibility in the beginning and we see responsibility in the end. When you are born into the kingdom of God, you are born into responsibility. Uh, you become a kingdom emissary. You become a kingdom ambassador. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, that we're ambassadors of Christ. Wherever you go, the kingdom of Jesus goes with you. There's lifetime responsibility in the kingdom of God. Doing the baby dedication today uh, reminded me of when my three kids were born. And, uh, you know, there's that moment when they're first born and it's nothing but chaos in the room. Uh, the doctor is active. There's uh, when Willow was born just six weeks ago. I swear there was like 20 people in her room with us when she was born. She had five nurses. Amanda had five nur- nurses. And then I was sitting in the corner. That was my job. Uh, That was my one responsibility. Shut up and stay there and smile. That's all your job is. So nothing but chaos when she's born and she's yelling and screaming and, and everything is happening. But then there was this moment where they lay her down in that incubator thing and the room just went calm. And I remember in that moment, just six weeks ago, looking at her, Amanda is still, you know, everything is still happening around. And it's just really just Willa and I in that moment and looking at her and thinking, you are my responsibility. You are my responsibility physically, and you are my responsibility spiritually. That's a lifetime responsibility. I don't get to say, uh, it's been a good 10 years. Peace out. (laughs) When she's 18, I don't send her off to college and say, now you're somebody else's problem. When she gets married, I'm going to let her marry somebody. No, I'm not going to let her marry somebody. I don't. (laughs) I don't think but hypothetically, if I did, <laughs> she would still be my spiritual responsibility. That's a lifetime commitment. There are also seasonal responsibilities, things that last not a lifetime, but last just for a season. I remember when Jackson started kindergarten at his little elementary school, which is right there in the middle of our neighborhood, we uh, felt like we didn't know anybody. We felt like everybody else was best friends and then there was us. In the whole school, all best friends and then us. We just felt like we didn't know anybody. And, and so he's in fourth grade now. Annabeth is in first grade. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to their field day, uh, you know, where they do all those relays and things. And, and I'm there. Amanda's at home with the baby. And, 
And they break them up into little groups by classes. And so this class and this class are doing this one activity and this class and this class are doing this other activity. And, you know, you can only watch, you know, fourth graders do a relay so many times. You know, you can only watch them throw that football through the ring a handful of times and then you kind of start, you know, daydreaming. And so after I had done my parental duty of support and he wasn't looking, I just kind of started looking around at all the other groups. And it was amazing in those years between kindergarten and fourth grade, I was able to say, hey, there's a Bayou City person. And there's a Bayou City person. And there's a Bayou City Fellowship family. And I know that guy. It's amazing to see the influence that God had given us at that school where we really started out knowing nobody. And now tons of people coming to church with us. But that's a seasonal responsibility to my neighbors on the right and left and on my street and in my neighborhood and at that school. That's a seasonal responsibility because eventually he's gonna get into the sixth grade and move on schools. And Annabeth eventually is going to move on to a different school or maybe we'll move houses one day. That's a seasonal responsibility. And then you also have momentary responsibilities. Things that last for just a moment, a a task, a, a, a job that God is gonna put in your hands just for a moment. In September, I was on my way to a, a dinner party with some friends and I was a little bit early and so I stopped in at a store to, uh, to look at some clothes. I had a gift card and I was trying to kill some time so I was there on Westheimer and uh, shopping at this place and I really didn't need to buy anything but I'm just looking around really honestly just trying to kill some time and, and so this guy comes over to help me. Uh, he works there obviously and, and he talks me into buying something but it was a gift card so I felt good about the purchase and, and so while I'm paying we start having a conversation and, and I say, you, you, you've grown up in Houston. And he's like, no, actually I'm from Missouri. And I'm like, I'm from Missouri too. And he tells me where he's from. And, and, uh, and I tell him where, where I was from. And we both had some familiarity uh, there. So we have this really great conversation. I buy my stuff. I walk out to my car and I think I need to invite this guy to church. He's in his young twenties. And, and so uh, I get one of our cars that we have at the welcome table that gives our, the address to our church and our service time. And I write my uh, phone number on it, my email address. And I walk back in and I say, Hey, you're new to Houston, you're in your mid-20s, if you're looking for some community, you should come to church with me because I have the coolest you know, 20-year-olds in the world that come to our church. So if you just are looking for some group of people, um, then come on, we'd love to have you. And he was very receptive and very warm. He took my card and, and I got in the car, I headed to the dinner party. And when I got there, we we're just small talking and, and I'm talking to a friend and he said, what were you doing? And I told him the story. I went to this place and was talking to this guy and I ended up inviting him to church. And he's like, dude, I met that guy and I also invited him to church. <laughs> so clearly God wants that guy to come to church. Yeah. But that was just a momentary responsibility. I don't go into that store every single day. Hey, praying for you. Hey, you gonna be there this week? Hey, I noticed you weren't there yesterday. What were you doing? Who were you with? Let's get down on our knees right now in the middle of this store and pray. What sins did you commit this week? No, no, no. Just a moment. Just a moment. Momentary responsibility. But when you're born into the kingdom of God, you're born into a role. You're born into a job. You're born into responsibility. So here's a question for today. When that responsibility gets placed in your hands, will you be ready? Will you be prepared? When that responsibility gets placed in your hands, will you be ready? That's why we go to Mary today in Luke chapter one. 
Mary had some responsibility placed in her hands that had never been given before and has never been given since. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. And in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, You are the most blessed of women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside of me. She who is believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has, has rejoiced in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He, was satisfi- he has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And married stayed with her about three months, and then she returned to her home. When responsibility is put in my hands, will I be prepared? Because I know what it's like to drop the ball. I know what it's like when God entrusts you with responsibility and and you let it slip through the cracks. I was preaching one time and I had this moment where in front of a large group of people, I, I, I talked about Jesus and a guy that I cared about a lot, a guy I've been praying for a lot, he, he comes up afterwards and he says, hey, I was listening to what you, you said and, and I really want to talk to you more about it. And I said, absolutely, but I was on my way somewhere and it just wasn't the right moment. And I said, let's connect later. And connecting later meant a year and a half later, I had no idea where he was. Lost track of him. My life went in one direction and his life went in another direction. And I really didn't know how to get a hold of him. And 
There wasn't probably a day that went by that I didn't think about him and I didn't think about the responsibility that I had missed out on. But a year and a half later, we crossed paths again and we're able to reconnect. And the whole time I'm thinking, maybe this is my moment for redemption. And so after a few times uh, of hanging out, I, I said, hey, do you remember about a year and a half ago? You probably don't remember, but I said that one thing about Jesus and, and you came up afterwards and said that you were interested in having that conversation. And uh, I said, I don't know where you're at with that any, anymore. I, I don't know if, if that's still something you're thinking about or, or that ha- has passed for you, but I would love to finish that conversation that we never really started. And he said, man, you're never gonna believe this. About six months ago, I was working out at the YMCA and was playing basketball. And afterwards, I came out uh, outside to the sidewalk and there were these two guys and they were just out there having conversations with people and they were passing out some things and one of them stopped me and, and we ended up having a conversation about Jesus and right outside the YMCA, I became a Christian. And part of me was like, That's so amazing, the grace of God. And part of me was like, man, that was, that could have been me. I could have been the one that was standing there when this guy crossed the line from life, from death into life. I could have been there to be a witness when this guy was born again. That was responsibility that God had placed in my hands. But because I was busy, because I was distracted, because I was on my way to somewhere else, somebody else got the blessing of being an eyewitness to this guy's life changing forever. And I did it. So I bring this message today as one who's gotten it right some and also as one who's gotten it wrong a bunch of times. But I wanna be prepared and you wanna be prepared And Mary helps us. You know, Luke says that he's writing his gospel to give an orderly account of the life of Jesus. That's his main purpose. He wants you to be able to read his gospel, his letter, to get a a wide picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and all that it means for somebody like you and I. And so as we read the story of Mary, we are reading the orderly account of how Jesus was born. And there are a million things that we can learn. But I think the most significant thing that we can learn from her is what do we do when God gives us a job? A little bit about Mary. From what we know on the surface, Mary seemed to have lived a very ordinary life of a very ordinary Jewish young woman. Nazareth was a small village You can imagine one main dirt road running down the middle of this village with primitive brick, stone, and wood square homes along the sides. The centerpiece of town was the synagogue. It served not only as the spiritual center, but also the educational, political, and informational center of Nazareth. Mary would have gone to the school there in the synagogue as a child with a specific focus for young women on the Psalms and Proverbs. Nazareth was located in the region of Galilee, northern Israel. And Galilee was filled with its rolling hills. It was more down to earth, simple and blue collar than its southern sister Judah. As with the expectation of most teenage girls in the first century Israel, Mary was a virgin. She was betrothed to Joseph, a carpenter. The marriage ceremony happened in two parts. The first part was the betrothal and the second part was the ceremony. 
Betrothal started with a formal agreement between Mary and Joseph and their families. A date would have been set for the ceremony when the agreement was made. Then Joseph would have begun preparing for their life together, most likely by building an addition to his father's house for he and Mary, or if there was no room for expansion in his father's house, building a home of his own. This was the typical experience of a young woman in Nazareth of Galilee like Mary. And into the middle of this very ordinary life of a very ordinary young woman, Gabriel appears and hands her this one-of-a-kind responsibility. And look at how she responds, verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. She was ready. How can we be ready? A few things we see from her that I would love for you to write down. First, when responsibility comes to us, we want to say to ourselves, he is able. He is able. Look at verse 43. She travels to meet Elizabeth. Elizabeth is blown away that Mary has come. She's able to discern supernaturally that Mary is carrying the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. She says in verse 43, How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside of me. And this is, this is how she describes Mary in verse 45. She who has believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. So she describes Mary as blessed because she believed the word that had come to her. But Mary asked the question to the angel. Did you catch it? Verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? So Mary gets this message from Gabriel. You're going to become pregnant and you're going to give birth to the son of God, the savior of Israel. Uh, Mary had had the birds and the bees talk, which was good. Uh, I don't want to rewind that for you today. Hopefully that's happened. If you've not had the birds and the bees uh, talk, somebody will meet you in the access room after church is over. She knows the birds and the bees. She knows that it takes a man and a woman, and she knows in her heart there is no man. I mean, there's a man coming in the wedding ceremony, but right now in the betrothal period, there is no man. And so she asks the question, you know, how can this happen? But she just takes the angel uh, giving the word of God at his word. She knows the birds and the bees and she's like, well, I guess that's what God is going to do. But she asks this question. Now, a lot of us may be thinking, well, how could she believe on one hand but ask the question on the other hand? We live in a culture right now where doubt is street credibility. That if you just come to church and you're like, I believe it. I believe it. I open up the word of God and I believe what it says. I believe what it says about people. I believe what it says about humanity. I believe what it says about uh, salvation. I believe what it says about Jesus. I believe the miracles. I believe the stories of the Old Testament. I, I just believe it. You're not as credible as somebody who says, well, I believe, but I got all these questions. If you have extended anger at God, as a Christian, you get all kinds of likes on the internet. If you Instagram, I believe the word of God, nobody is going to blink an eye. But if you say, I'm a believer, but I've got a bunch of questions, 
People are gonna lift you up as somebody who must be smart, must be intelligent, must be like me. Doubt gets a lot of credibility in our culture right now, even among Christians. But listen, there's a difference between trying to gain understanding and skepticism. We see this with Zechariah. Just turn a page to the left, Luke chapter one. In God's order, Jesus is coming. We're counting down his arrival in the gospel of Luke. But before Jesus really steps onto the scene, he's gonna send a prophet ahead of him named John the Baptist. And so Luke chapter one at the beginning half gives the story of, of how John the Baptist is going to be born. And he's going to be born from Zechariah and Elizabeth, who we've already met. And Zechariah is a priest, and it's his turn to minister inside the temple. And when he's inside the temple, an angel comes to him and, uh, and, uh, and begins to speak to him. And this is what he says in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. That's a prayer for a son. They were not able to have any children, and they're uh, of age, we'll say. Because your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. And there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will never drink wine or beer and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many sons of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him. Who's that? That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the people of the Lord, uh, to, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Verse 18, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in the years. So really, Zechariah does the same thing as Mary. An angel says, hey, here's what's going to happen. But scientifically, even in their primitive first century understanding, they know that that is impossible. Mary knows it's impossible for me to have a child because I've never gone all the way, and Zechariah knows it's not possible because he and his wife are very, very, very old, like your grandparents old. That's how old they are, and they're like, we passed that stage. We passed that window. We know it's impossible. Both the same thing. How can this happen? Science is not working on our side, but look what happens to Zechariah. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, exclamation mark. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So to Mary, nothing happens. She just asked this question. How is this gonna happen? This doesn't seem to be uh, working out in my mind scientifically. Nothing happens. In fact, she's given credit just a few verses later for believing the angel at his word. But Zechariah here, our poor brother, he also asked what seems to be a great question and he's not gonna be able to talk for the entire nine months that his wife Elizabeth is pregnant. And all the ladies said, amen. <laughs> amen, that's the best nine months of Elizabeth's life. But there's a difference between Asking questions on our way to obedience and asking questions as an excuse to be disobedient. And really only you and God know the difference. 
It's one thing when responsibility gets placed in your hand when you know this is what God is asking me to do and you're like, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. How are we gonna pay for that? How is it gonna do that? How is it gonna work out? What's my future gonna be like? But in my heart, I've already made the decision to obey. And there's another thing that goes, well, it probably won't work out. What are we gonna do about money? What are we gonna do about time? Knowing we're just looking for any reason to stay on the path that we're on instead of embracing the responsibility that God has put into our hands. But Mary believes the word that comes to her. Mary believes that she is, is going to see this come to pass. Mary believes that God is able to cause conception where there is no scientific conception. Mary believes that he's going to be able to bring her to labor and deliver, delivery, even though it's not really physically possible. And your responsibility will fall through the cracks of your fingers if you don't believe that whatever God has asked you to do, he is able to do. If God gives you momentary responsibility and he says, I want you to invite that person to church. If you don't believe in that moment that that person is able, that God is able to move that person's heart, to move their schedule around, to, to, to organize their thoughts and, and heart, to say yes to your invitation, you won't invite that person. You'll go, oh, they'll probably just reject me out of hand. If you have a coworker in your seasonal responsibility that you know in your heart, God has said, that's the one for you. Pray for that person. Talk about me. Bring up something. Turn the conversation to the things that matter most. And in your mind, you've already decided that that person will never change. That person will never walk away from their lifestyle. That person will never listen to me about Jesus. You're less likely to actually follow through. But what would it be like for you and I as as soon as God gives us the responsibility, we just know instantaneously God is able to do that. God will do that. God will not put in anything in your hands and ask you to do something that he is not able to do through you. About a year ago, I was sitting at a restaurant from a, with a guy from our church and I didn't know him very well, just some real, real casual surface level conversations on Sunday morning. But he emailed me and he said, I really need to meet with you. Something terrible has happened and uh, I need to, to meet with you. And so I said, well, let's go to the Cracker Barrel. I love the Cracker Barrel. It's where God goes in the morning. It's, it was a cold sort of like this. They build a big fire at the Cracker Barrel and I try to ask for the one as close to the fire as possible. It just makes me feel romantic about life. I mean, there's a freeway running outside, but it just feels right. And, and so I have a lot of meetings at the Cracker Barrel and, and so uh, I show up early and, and sure enough, he comes, he meets me there and, and I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he starts telling me about how his marriage has just disintegrated in the last 24 hours. He starts telling me the story. I'm gonna be honest with you. When I left the Cracker Barrel, I thought there is no way that this marriage is gonna survive. And, and not because of them. If I were in that marriage, I would say, I don't think that there's any way that this marriage could survive. A couple months later, I hear that one of the couple shows up at a community group, never been to a community group before, shows up at a community group and just tells their half of the story 
and owned every bit, every bit of their responsibility for the disintegration of their marriage. They had separated, living in one house and another house and were doing kind of dual custody with their kids and this one, per, one party shows up at the community group, just confesses everything that there is, confesses, this is where I'm at, I wanna change. About a month later, there they are in the baptismal waters at Bayou City Fellowship saying, I've become a Christian, I've been saved, my life has changed. A few months later, the other person in the marriage shows back up to that community group. Now they're there together. And that person says, I don't know who this person is. This is not the person that I married, the one that's coming to church, the one that's praying, the one that's reading the scripture, the one that's getting baptized. I don't know this person. This is not who this person was just a few months ago. So then they show up and they start telling their story from both sides, not just one half, the other half. And they go from living in separate houses to back to the same house. And now a year later, this past Sunday, I watched them holding hands, coming into the church house together. And I thought to myself, that is a miracle. I pronounced their marriage dead in my own heart one year ago. I was sure that it was over, but it was not. It was not. Listen, whatever God has put into your hand, He is able to do it. If he points out a friend to you and says, that's, I want you to laser focus on them this season. Don't go, oh, they're so far from God. Don't say, oh, they'll never believe. Don't say, I've done it before. If he has asked you to do it, he is able to do it. Now, you and I, we're not able to do it. You are not enough. You're wonderful. You're great. You're amazing. You're beautiful. Could not be awesomer. You are not enough. You cannot drag them across the line of faith. Not one of you or me is enough to go out to the far country and drag the prodigal home. Can't do it. But if God has asked you, he is able. So when responsibility comes, when it's pushed into your hand, the first thing you wanna say, like Mary, is I believe. I believe. I don't understand, but I believe. He is able. Second thing that I want you to write down as we turn towards home. He is glorious. First, he is able. Second, he is glorious. Look at what Mary says in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. Verse 49, look at what she calls him because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. So she says, my soul proclaims the greatness of God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul proclaims the glory of God. Listen, your primary motive for saying yes to whatever responsibility that God puts in your hands is because God is glorious. Because God is great. Because God is holy because God is mighty. Listen, when you opted into the kingdom of God, it means you don't get to opt out of obedience. So if God asks you to do something, you don't get to say, and I don't get to say, I'm busy. You don't get to say, ah, I got a lot of things going on. You don't get to say, ah, think about it. I'm not really sure. You don't get to opt out because this is not a friend. This is not 
somebody giving a recommendation. This is not somebody trying to lead you. This is God who has placed responsibility in your hands and we don't get to opt out. To opt out is to disobey. It's not just to opt out. See, we wanna start our decision-making process with the glory of God. Like Mary, when the call comes to us, we wanna say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul proclaims the greatness of God. Because what happens when you place the glory of God as your primary motive for life, you start making better decisions. I don't know if you've noticed that. Some of you are here today and you're just in a mess of your own bad decisions. You just look at your life and you're like, that's not ideal, that's not ideal, that's not ideal, that's not ideal, but this is what I got. And for most of us, we got ourselves into that because we led with the wrong question. Do you ever hear somebody say uh, to you, hey, just follow your heart. You ever have a friend come up and say, hey, just follow your heart. Listen, drop that friend. They're a terrible friend. That's bad advice. Honestly, it could not be worse advice. Like I bet single people in here are single brothers and sisters. People tell you that all the time. Man, should I go out with this person? Should I not go out with this person? Should I take this to the next level? Should I not? Uh, Follow your heart. (laughs) Do not follow your heart. Listen, single friends, don't follow your heart. You know why? Because your heart is lonely. Your heart is scared. Your heart is scared that you're going to end up a cat lady. Your heart is scared that you're going to turn out and be this old man that has this weird smell that uh, all the neighbor's kids are afraid of that person. Deep down, that's what your heart is afraid of. Your heart is lonely. Your heart is afraid. And your heart has been receiving bad signals from the world its entire life. So when you follow your heart normally, I guess I can't speak for you. I'll just speak for me. When I follow my heart, I follow my heart into bad decisions. But when we take our heart to the cross of Jesus and crucify it to the cross, we say, oh, there's something bigger than me. There's something bigger than my desire. There's something bigger than my fears. There's something bigger than the way that I feel. There's something more at stake with my life. I wanna start there. I wanna start with the glory of Jesus. Some of us have been opting out of obedience because we just thought that you get the right to do that. And I'm telling you today that you don't get that right. And I don't either. Because he's glorious, he's great. And where we start is he can do whatever he's asked me to do, he's able. And I'm gonna do it because he is glorious. This is not my buddy, this is not my pal. This is the God who breathed out the universe. This is the God that has preserved his word over thousands of years, 40 different authors, perfection from moment one to the end. This is that God. He's put responsibility in your hands and we're gonna do it because he's the one who asked us to do it. And then the third thing we see from Mary is he will look after us. He will look after us. He is able, he is glorious, he will look after me because as soon as you start talking about, I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna opt into obedience because God is glorious and that's where I wanna start. Then the second thought is, what about me? Is he gonna protect me? Am I gonna be his sacrificial pawn? 
Is he gonna leave me out on that limb on my own? No, he will look after us. I mean, think about Mary. Mary is at personal risk. Being pregnant is risky. Giving birth is risky. I mean, you think about what the mortality rate was in the first century. Giving birth was very dangerous. Wondering about the health of that little baby in there for nine months is incredibly scary. She's signing up for all of that. Plus she's signing up for, what's Joseph gonna say? Joseph is a righteous man, the Bible tells us. Joseph is a good man. And when people not only hear the story, but when they see the story, when Mary starts protruding out there and they know, hey, the betrothal was on, but the wedding ceremony, it wasn't uh, set yeah, I mean, it wasn't time yet for that. And they see this righteous man over here and they see Mary over here and they see Joseph was put some distance in between. Everybody's gonna side with Joseph. Mary's reputation is at risk. People are gonna talk. Joseph is gonna talk. But look, she knows God will look after her. Look what she says in verse 50. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. And he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. She knows, yeah, my soul magnifies the Lord, but he has protected his people and he has protected me the whole way. Look, and he's gonna look after her with his mercy, which is great because even Mary wasn't perfect. You remember that story in the gospels? Jesus is teaching inside a home and there's a lot of people inside the house. And this is pretty early on in Jesus's ministry. And so his brothers don't believe in him. They're, they're skeptical about him. In fact, they're, 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 they're actually giving him a hard time to his own face. But one story, uh, he's teaching inside and, and the brothers are outside. And it says that Mary is with them and they want Jesus to stop teaching and to come out and have a conversation with them. As we read into that, what we understand is that Mary and Jesus's brothers want him to chill out. Hey, stop it with all this talk. Mary wasn't perfect. Jesus is 12 years old. He stays in Jerusalem in the temple and Mary and Joseph are totally freaked out because they've lost him for a whole day. They come back and they scold him and Jesus is like, what did you expect? What did you think? I'm in my father's house. This is what you should have expected of me. Mercy. Mercy is one of the ways that God will look after you when he puts responsibility in your hands because you're not gonna be perfect. You're gonna get it right a bunch and you're gonna get it wrong a bunch. And then look, he says, he's gonna look after her with who's surrounding her because the way she describes it, it makes it sound like there's enemies all around. Verse 51, he has done a mighty deed with his 
arm. What's the mighty deed? He has scattered the proud because of their thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. The way that she probably has felt from the moment that that angel came to her to the time that she's at Elizabeth's house uh, uh, singing out this uh, song of praise is she's felt like she's maybe surrounded. She's surrounded by the righteous and now she looks unrighteous. She's not unrighteous, but it looks like that because she's pregnant and she's not married. She feels like she's surrounded, but she says, no, what God has done is he's scattered all those people who have surrounded me. The amazing thing that's gonna happen when you say yes to whatever responsibility God is gonna put in your hands, you're gonna look around and you're gonna feel like, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter, you're gonna feel like you're the only one there. You're gonna feel like, is anybody, where did all my encouragers go? Because this is what's gonna happen when you say yes. You're gonna have few encouragers. People are gonna communicate to you that they would do it differently than you and they would do it better. Now, they won't say that out loud, but they will just give off that impression to you. Other Christians in your workplace, when you go to minister to somebody else there in your office, the other Christian will come and they will subtly drop the hint that you're doing it wrong. Now, they are not doing it, but you are doing it wrong. It's amazing. As soon as you say yes to the responsibility, you're gonna feel like you're surrounded by the proud and you're gonna feel like the lowly and it's gonna feel like everyone else is mighty. Because this is a scheme of the enemy to get you to opt out of what you have already opted into. But Mary says, no, he's scattered all of my enemies. He's gonna look after me. What was the outcome? Responsibility put in her hands. She says, he's able, he's great, he's glorious, and he will look after me. Jesus is born. And that's what will happen when you say yes to the responsibility, Jesus is going to come. Jesus will be magnified. Jesus will be made known. People will come to see Jesus in your life. Shepherds will come. Wise men will come. Neighbors will come. You'll walk into places and they will notice that you walked in with Jesus. That's what happens when you say yes to the responsibility that God has put in your hands. But you were born into this. Lifetime, seasonal, momentary. Let's be like Mary today. Let's opt in because he's able, he's glorious, and he will look after us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word giving us the example of Mary today. Lord, we know our responsibility is much different than hers, but you've also given us responsibility You've made us leaders. You've made us light. You've called us to love. You've called us to provide and protect. You've called us to witness. So we opt in today together. And we pray that Jesus is lifted up and Jesus is magnified and made known because of it. pray you would motivate us today in our heart that you can do 
what you've asked us to do. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray.